0: This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high value strategic work that truly matters. To learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host Thomas Kinsler, CEO and co-founder of Tines. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Future of Security Operations podcast. This week, I'm excited to be joined by Jeff Moss, senior director of information security at Encode Technologies. Jeff has had a varied and fascinating career to date, having moved from project and program management in areas such as construction and IT into cybersecurity, where he quickly worked his way up to becoming CISO within about four years of starting in information security, as well as Senior Director of Information Security now at IncODE. Jeff has experience in scaling several security startups during their high growth phases, he's countless licenses and certifications, including being a CISA with ISACA, and even has an MBA. Jeff, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure and great to uh, great to connect again. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey to date and what you could describe as your less traditional path into uh, into information security, and information security leadership.
1: Sure. Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. Thanks for I've the intro. T-
0: taking away all your thunder straight away. <laughs> Sorry, man.
1: Yeah. So um, prior to ENCODE, I was a CISO at Rebellion Defense, kind of working backwards. It was a CISO at Rebellion Defense before uh, joining here at ENCODE. I helped Rebellion as a deputy CISO as well and as an architect in their early stages. Uh, before that, I also worked as a principal security engineer for a company called F9 Teams, which did basically contracting with the Air Force to help the, basically my, my job was to help secure supply chain security for the Air Force's command and control applications. Prior to that, I uh, was a product security manager at as and also a product security technical lead and senior product security engineer. And I also, before I was Zero, was at Tripwire, which is famously known for their file integrity monitoring uh, systems. And I helped build Tripwire Enterprise, which is the FEM product. Uh, what's interesting is about, as prior to my foray into tech, I spent almost a decade at the state of Oregon leading programs, projects, leadership development, organizational change management. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting story that I think, uh, you know, hopefully you can encourage others who want to jump into the security space. I was actually working a legislative project for the state of Oregon help overhaul the retirement system and, and basically the, the software that supported that system. And I made a deal with the then CIO that uh, I really wanted to get into tech. And um, so as I was working this legislative project, I, I made this deal that said uh, basically, hey, I would like to get more involved in engineering and tech and I'll help you know get this uh, project through. And so the deal was made. Uh, the CIO said, that's great. And I went back and got my basically my third degree into computer science as a post And the rest is history. It felt very kind of weird, like I was going backwards, but it was what I really wanted to do. I've always been interested in tech and security. And so I actually was like a part-time engineer and a, a program manager at the time.
0: Nice. That's quite a lot of hustle to go up to the CIO of I don't know was the state of uh, the state of Oregon. Going back to I suppose you're like when you started in kind of security, you were in Tripwire, uh, but you were working in product security. Or you were you working as a software engineer, I suppose at the start, but in that kind of a, in like in a security product? How did you decide like actually I want to I want to evolve into like more security focused roles? And like what was it about working in like product security that that you enjoyed?
1: It was um, an eye-opener, actually, moving from engineering to product security. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, in engineering, you're focused on, like, continually delivering new features, and you're really focused on providing those features as quickly as possible and, you know, a good amount of estimation. And basically, security is only a part of it. And security was really interesting to me. I actually, as an engineer at Tripwire, we had a bunch of different like affinity groups around security and we very much had, have like a security culture. So I was actually a lot of the work that I did as an engineer was around ensuring that we did our, you know, our pen tests and ensuring that we fixed security vulnerabilities and understood those security vulnerabilities and threat modeling. So a lot of that stuff was built in, which was great. Uh, I just really wanted to continue that further because of You know, security space is always changing and moving, and it's a huge challenge. I really love that aspect of it. I'm always learning and always growing. And so um, that's really what got me into taking on a more security-focused role. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was a pretty big eye-opener to me. I think, like, the first time I joined in product security, I was kind of like, holy crap, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, you start to see the big picture, and there's a little bit almost like of, oh, I'm freaking out a little bit. But then you kind of learn to understand where all those risks risks are and be able to prioritize those and understand kind of what is the big picture to the organization? How is this impacting the organization?
0: Yeah, it's a fun moment when uh, I remember the first time in my career when uh, like I realized, oh, Oh yeah, no, we're definitely, there's definitely going to be some bad things that are going to be happening in this, uh, in this job. It's not just like, yeah, we just, we, we try to detect small things. It's like, Oh, nope, this is uh bad things are going to happen. And that's, that's why we, that's why we as a security industry exist and we as security professionals exist. I suppose you've seen, like you've seen security, like product security, you've seen security operations evolve. How do you describe the state of product security today? Like what's, what's changed over the last 10 years, uh, or even the last five five or six years that you've been involved?
1: yeah that's a great question i i think product security it's funny because actually if you if you look at product security and you do a google search you might actually find uh folks who still work in like contracts yeah and folks who still are like focused on assurance activities i think that's falling more to the wayside but um yeah i mean assurance was kind of the name of the game right where you built a product and you had like a gate and it's like, do we deliver it or do we not? And here are the check boxes <laughs> really from the early, early state on of kind of this whole waterfall me- methodology uh, should we release this or not. And maybe that made sense 10 years ago, if you were shipping a product to a customer with, you know, CDs that was, you know, disconnected from the internet today, things are very different um get to really build security in and that includes all everything from just the original idea like can we actually secure this idea this idea is a great idea on paper but is it something that we can actually secure all the way through monitoring and ensuring that it continues to be uh, as secure as you designed it
0: and i suppose like wh- what In terms of, I suppose, in terms of like attacks, in terms of techniques, in terms of the, what are you more worried about today than you were 10 years ago or five years ago? Like, what's the, what's, or is it all the same sort of things that you're worried about?
1: Yeah, I I think what we've seen, I think as a kind of a universal truth is that our attack service is much larger Mm -hmm. today than it ever has been. You know, everything is online and we're moving more and more cloud first. Yeah. So, the difference of like five years ago when maybe 10 years ago, when everything was focused around walled gardens and networks and watching bits on the wire and ensuring that things uh, like FIM, right. Things didn't Mm -hmm. change at a certain state uh, and looking for those like needle in the haystack. Uh, Now it's, you know, it's even worse. We have much wider attack surface. They're following the same type of approaches they are just not going to be bringing as much value. So I think attack surface is one of the biggest. Uh, also, you know, if you're a cloud first company, you're going to be end up having a lot more surface and things moving a lot quicker. You're, you know most of your software is probably some sort of dependency in open source. But, and so uh, really keeping those up to date and understanding the risks that are associated with that. I think there's a lot of really cool technologies out there to help reduce those risks, like mm-hmm. understanding reachability analysis, right? Like if I have a dependency, but I don't ever use that dependency, then is it really a problem?
0: So you've obviously learned a lot when you were a tripwire, but you, you kind of specialized in Securing companies in their high growth phases, right? So if you look at Tripwire, they're growing very fast. All Zero grew incredibly fast. Hopefully, Encode uh, will be going uh, the same uh, in the same direction at the same uh, at the same same scale and velocity. What are some of the things you've learned when it comes to, I suppose, addressing some of those risks? So you know, hey, like uh, the attack surface is enormous. How do you reduce that? Or it's like actually we're seeing attacks from like you know all these people in play, all, all this these sort of in all these sort of areas maybe we should invest in some areas, you know, before that, so what have you, what are you doing? Definitely. What, what, what have you learned when it comes to scaling start security for startups?
1: You have to be amazing at prioritization. Yeah. And then, and then you realize that you're not amazing at prioritization Then you have to reprioritize and become even more amazing at prioritization. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things and, and going back to foundations, I think is really mm-hmm. key. You know, Our attackers are are thinking like businesses as well. If it is easy to basically get an auth bypass through business email compromise, they're totally going to do that, right? Like they're not going to write a a zero day to to attack you if they cost them pennies, right? To do business email compromise. So really understanding uh, what is kind of the threat intelligence and kind of the trends I think are really important. Understanding the basics. If you... If you can't secure your own corporate environment, when I mean corporate, I mean everything from DevOps to writing your own machines, then how are you going to build a secure product? Right? Like your foundations are shaky. So you have to really focus on those key concepts.
0: You started your career in project management and program management, and you did an MBA. How does that that affect your ability to prioritize and get shit done for for want of a, a better phrase?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, having that experience has really helped yeah, of uh, define the initiatives that need to be, that take place, right? Like there are a million things that need to get done, mm-hmm. but there, if you can't dissolve those down to three to five, you're probably spreading the peanut butter too thin and you're probably not going to get very far. So really dissecting those down into actionable chunks. And breaking that work down is, is very much project and program management at the end of the day. Yeah. The other pieces are: are we putting the the right amount of dollars and people to the to the solution? And I think that that you know budgeting, forecasting, understanding ROI, understanding more quantitative methods around risk, all really help you prioritize the things that really matter to the organization. They're going to reduce the amount of risk um, to the organization.
0: Absolutely. And like, also communicating and having a good, good relationship with your peers, right? So making sure that yeah, like security is a, yeah, it's obviously a, like a techno- technological challenge, but it's also very much a communications challenge. I, I was listening to uh, an interview with Barack Obama there the other day. And yeah, he just had a, a very nice response. He was asked, hey, if you're starting your career these days, what would you, uh, like, what area would you go into? And he said, I, I wouldn't go into any particular area. I wouldn't recommend you go into any particular area. Instead I tried very much paraphrasing and sounding way less elegant than him, obviously, but he's like, I, would I'd instead, uh, try to get as much skills at like taking on projects and just getting them done. So driving projects to completion and like learning how to, uh, yeah, learning just how to, how to manage and be somebody that gets things done, uh, and if you can do that in the first, state, first couple of years of your career, you're going to be set up. And I was like, oh, that's actually yeah, it's really uh, it's really good advice. And it's not often not often things that people in security are very, very good at, unfortunately. We can be good at identifying problems, but I think we yeah, we should probably be better at completing uh, completing tasks and and scoping them correctly as well.
1: Yeah, I, I saw the interview, it was awesome. I, I think you know, we have a, a kind of a similar saying here in ENCODE that think like an owner. And I yeah, think that absolutely. that's absolutely that's really key for our security teams or really anybody in, in the company
0: right yeah yeah it's again the exact same thing times we we have that uh, and you'll see it's it's great you'll see some like Junior sales reps or some customer support reps who by all accounts you wouldn't expect them to be like driving a uh, driving ownership of, of a problem they identified but're like no I'm gonna uh, go ahead and like find the right people and I'm gonna go ahead and fix this and when you see that like this, this is somebody we need to uh we need to keep a hold of it's um, yeah it's really exciting. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your yeah your shift so or not shift is not the right word but like you grew very fast in information security so in old zero you you were on the the product security team you led a uh you led a product security team and then you moved to f9 and then to rebellion but over the course of three or four years you made your way up from yeah i suppose from a, from a director to a deputy cso to a cso can you tell us about that journey and how you uh how anybody listening can repeat it or if if it's worth getting all the way up to uh, to being a CISO, is it uh yeah, but, what what's the journey like? Do you recommend it?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if this is the part where I'm like, are you sure you want to be a CISO? <laughs> right? Well,
0: like, that's key. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm asking. It's a it's a tough job.
1: Yeah, it is definitely a challenging job, but it is super rewarding too. Um yeah, of course. For me, um the kind of the tying of business and the technical was yeah it felt almost like it felt like a calling. Nice. I spent, you know, a a good almost decade on kind of the business side. And I really felt like that was an area that was a bit missing in the security field where we tend to be very good at technical solutions. We tend to be very good at like nerding out about the, the next, you know, attack vector or how we're going to approach it, uh, in our different frameworks and matrices and all those things. Yep. But, uh, C-Suite doesn't really care, right? Like uh, what they care about is if I do this thing, is it going to reduce our risk of X, right? And and how much, what kind of losses are we going to, what kind of losses are we going to see if we don't do this thing? And uh, you know, cybersecurity or information security risk is business risk. And, And I think that that's something that we've tried to make it something more than it is. But it really is a ten million loss from a cyber event is a ten million loss. Whether it could be a ten million loss from failure to execute, right? It's still a ten million dollar loss. Mm-hmm. And so, how are we going to approach that and kind of a holistic risk management?
0: Yeah, it's a bit. Um, we view ourselves. The role is extremely important, but in many ways, like yeah, it can be articulated. In, not necessarily quite as clearly but uh yeah the way the board is looking at it is like yeah think, what, what's the impact of an earthquake what's the impact of a cyber attack it's the right. the impact like hey how, and how, how can i best mitigate this what can i uh what can i need to put in place so that if this happens that we're going to be able to respond as an organization and how bad is this going to be what steps do i need to take i suppose yeah. can, can you talk about your like there's been a lot of discussion lately about the shift in kind of the cybersecurity in the uh, organizational structures where you you know saying hey like leadership and the board are concerned about cybersecurity but how, how do you feel about like security operations and cisos like reporting to the board reporting to the ceo do you have any like strong opinions on like where they should be reporting how often they should be updating or does it depend entirely on the organization
1: um i think it's a bit of a nuanced subject because it really does depend on the organization, but an organization I think can set itself up for more success by having more clear lines. And so, if a CISO reporting to a CEO is probably one of the larger uh, kind of risk reductions or I'd say checks and balances that can be made that don't require a bunch of other checks and balances to support it. So, for example, the CISO reports to the reports to product, right? Mm -hmm. There is an inherent, I won't say conflict of interest because the CISO also should be a business enabler. Yeah, absolutely. But I would say that there there are additional checks and balances that need to occur to ensure that the right data is getting to the CEO. And so really understanding the structure, how decisions are made, I think there are a lot of different structures that are appropriate. I think the question is, should the CISO be a part of the leadership team? Yes, right, like without a doubt, because these are again business risks, risks to the organization, and not um, not IT or technical. And I think that that's one of the things that we're seeing in the shift, particularly when we see like the SEC proposed rulemaking, is that uh, cybersecurity risk is material risk to the business, and the the SEC has made that really clear that you know if you don't report a cybersecurity risk that is, that impacts the business in your 10K, 10Q, right? Like uh, you're in trouble, right? And so these are things that are absolutely important to the business. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of shifts, not only with the SEC, but the FTC as well and their enforcement side. This
0: is um, just in case... Folks aren't super, uh, super familiar. It's all that's going to take place. Is it like October, November? I should definitely, uh, I should definitely know the, uh, the exact date here. But as far as I understand, it requires all like, is it public companies or market entities to have policies whereby if there's a significant cybersecurity risk, they review risks annually. And then if there's a significant risk that they have to give SEC, the SEC immediate written notice or something like that. Am I, am I um, summarizing that correctly?
1: I think, uh, you know, overall, if I remember correctly, it's, you know, there needs to be cyber governance processes and the board is not, is responsible for that as well. So it kind of shifts some responsibility into the board about cyber um, governance. But yes, there are, there are other requirements like you were mentioning in there as well.
0: I remember when I worked in, yeah, I worked in DocuSign and we went public and that process changed a lot of our processes, which was like fab we got more budget we had to be a little bit more rigorous in our uh in our policies and procedures etc but what was also very noticeable was the yeah the c-suite i didn't ever i, I wasn't ever reporting to the board or anything like that my boss was but the um the c-suite took it a lot more seriously so all of a sudden you know if there was a cybersecurity incident, they'd be like, "Hold on a second! I just personally stood up and told a whole lot of our investors that we had X, Y, and Z in place." Are you telling me that? And I'm like, we've been telling you that all along. <laughs> we've like we told you, <laughs> we told you a long time ago that that was the situation. But now that you're now that you're listening, this is a it's a good opportunity to yeah reinforce it. But it did uh like having that personal accountability uh, or board accountability is definitely effective, even if it does mean that there's going to have to be. I suppose more uh, more rigorous processes in place and more work for security teams. I suppose another thing that like falls under the responsibility of obviously a CISO is I suppose enforcing that security culture, right? So or building that security culture. I'd love to understand how you approach that, but also if it was any easier in that you're working in like you've been working in a lot of security like startups, but it's security companies, right? So like All Zero Rebellion, Encode, they're all you know, they're all selling security solutions to a, yeah, to a broad extent. Does that make it easier? Or, and how do you get buy-in from the the entire org?
1: Culture is hard and it doesn't matter if you're a security company or not. Uh, you uh, know, in my opinion, it, it's, there are, I think there are some certain challenges if you're in a security company, right? Like there's a, the, one of the things is level of expectations, right? Like you may come in saying, ah, we're, you know, first security company. So therefore we are, this much percent better at doing this particular thing. I would throw that assumption away immediately and get the data and get the data about, yeah, okay. about the company, because there'll be things that will surprise you. There'll be things that are way worse than you expected. And there are things that are way better than you expected. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think, you know, I've been surprised time and time again about which things those things are. And so really understanding the culture and really understanding how things get done, I think is one of the key pieces to understanding how you might affect uh security culture. The other piece is, you know, one of the things I think you were uh, mentioning earlier is that, uh, kind of what things would you do differently or what would you yeah. uh, improve? Um having, you know, this is my really like second time building and third time helping scale and I would say I would start with security culture way earlier than I ever anticipated I needed to because we think that we're going to make changes much faster than we really will. Like security culture change, the change that you want to have that's positive is really organizational change. Yeah, you're you're really asking the organization to change into to a new way of working, uh, and you might take the best of the things that are, that are happening. And also try to mitigate the worst of things that are happening, but it will take time and it will take a lot of communication. And you'll feel like you're saying the same thing over again, like a hundred times. And then at some point it's going to click and you're going to go, wow. Okay. I actually was measuring this before and now I can see a change. And it's going to be all those like miniature little steers, right. Um, Mm -hmm. To get the ship to turn. And I think it really is it's a kind of a long haul discussion so start early
0: one of the things that we try to do in in times we try to automate everything right and so like we're an automation company we try to automate absolutely everything but i wish i could say that like that's pervasive as a result that like everybody brings automation to their uh, into their uh, their lives and they do they we do we do a very good uh, a very good job at it but yeah i think i was naively hoping that uh, if you're a security company that everybody would be yeah well we'll bring a uh, security into your lives at least though the messaging is a little bit easier that like you can, everybody's on board that like, well, security is important rather than yes. like, wait, why do we need security? We, you know, never make bread. It's not necessarily critical to uh, critical to our, our organization.
1: Yeah, you but kind no. of get this like a yeah. awareness bit where maybe if your company isn't a security company or it's a little bit earlier in kind of its maturity, you, you have an awareness gap. But in a security company, you may not necessarily have the awareness gap, but you might have the, have a little bit more effort to prove why you're doing something Yeah. because people will be more actively and knowledgeable about saying, well, why do you do that? And why do you do it that way and not this way? And so I think that that's, that's actually really healthy.
0: But also, yeah, it's like, it, you know, it behooves us to share and learn and be open to have those, have those conversations and to say, "Hey, okay, yes. this is a, this is a good thing to, uh, this is a good thing to do. Kind of on the topic of um, you know doing things differently, you've just taken over a, a new role. I don't want to like dive in and say, "Hey, is, uh like what like what are your plans?" Because that's having been in similar uh, similar roles, it's really hard and it takes a long time to uh, <laughs> to get up to speed um, and to understand exactly what's happening in the organization. But if you're thinking about where security is going to be in a couple of years' time, like say four or five years' time, obviously again you're you're working in a in a company that focuses on. A, uh, on identity, but what are you focusing on? What are some of the areas that you think you'll need to be focusing on so that you know, you'll know you be prepared in a couple of years' time?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, attackers are becoming more and more sophisticated. I, I don't know what year this was, but I remember going to an RSA and, um, and I think it was the um, NSA who, who presented basically zero days and they said, oh, look at this big pie chart. And we haven't had a single zero day this year, right? Everything else has been business email, compromise, all this other stuff. I don't know that they can say that today. And right, so.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that there's a days since a zero day website out there. And I'm sure it gets, it's it's just consistently zero, actually. It's just a static email
1: page. So so I think, you know, the sophistication of our attacks are are much uh, greater. And then, you know, automation. You mentioned automation. Automation can be used for good and can be used for bad. And um, I think we're going to see things like generative AI. I think we already are mm-hmm. uh, really upping the game for attackers. And so we need to be ahead of it. And so really embracing, even though it's scary, embracing these new technologies with you know kind of a risk methodology, understanding like, hey, what is responsible AI program? What is a responsible way that we're going to approach this? So that we are ahead of the attackers because I guarantee you, the attackers don't care, right? Like responsible AI, yeah, I am I'm already criminal, right? I'm already doing yeah, exactly. uh, things that are, that are bad.
0: Right. Am I breaching this website's terms and
1: conditions? I should stop. Right. I mean, it kind of goes back to that old like joke of like the, you know, an attacker doesn't care whether it's a corporate system that they've breached or whether it's, or the entry point, it's sort of public, right. It, it's like, it doesn't matter. They don't care. And we shouldn't either. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd say getting ahead of that is, is a key part. I think we're going to see more um, engineering focused approaches, uh, particularly around security operations, really having that kind of the AI helper or that uh, advanced technology helping security operations practitioners be able to focus on more like high risk signals. Yep. and less noise right I think that that's the thing is we have to get better and better and better about signal things like canary tokens I think are amazing right Same like right. talk about perfect signal um uh, well maybe not perfect it can never say perfect but it's definitely something that you want to act on if you if you see one pop up
0: even if it's not an attacker it's probably somebody doing something they maybe should be doing right uh, and <laughs> we, like knock it off so how do you keep on top how do you keep on top of Information security news. I know you're like, you're a self-described avid reader, but like, are there good security books you'd recommend or how, how do you, yeah, how do you stay on top of that? Uh, what's going on in the security world?
1: Well, you know, I subscribe to probably uh, have too much of a shotgun approach, to be honest. I think I have like subscribed to like 10 different podcasts. Um, I obviously, you know, I actually have a newsletter A daily newsletter from the National Association of Corporate Directors, as well as like KPMG regulatory alerts, because, you know, the privacy and regulatory landscaping is changing so quickly that that's an area that I really need to to stay on top of. I'm reading some very boring books that people probably wouldn't enjoy, but I'm enjoying ones around the U.S. privacy sector. I actually have been reading a book about quantitative risk analysis, which has been really an interesting read. It's one of those uh, books, I think it's how to measure anything books, but it's on the cybersecurity piece. And it's actually, it's really, uh, it's a great book. There's a book called Startup Secure that I would almost, I recommend to really anybody in a startup. It is a fantastic book.
0: I was gonna say, if you give me thirty seconds, I can rule it out from my bookshelf over there. It's Chris uh, Chris yeah. He's the CEO of right. Crossbeam. Shout out to uh, shout out to Chris. He's a, a fantastic guy, and it is a great book. To finish up on kind of a, a really easy question, if you're uh, measuring, if you're reading a book about measuring information security, uh and you're trying to measure the success of your information security program, I suppose if, you, if you're a security leader today, what are some of the things that you're you're trying to measure? If you're if somebody started security programs in a few different companies now or been part of the scale ups. What are you starting on? What do you, uh, What what's the, what I want to do, the things that you're, you're focusing on and want to, want to get a hold up, a hold of and measure quickly.
1: Yeah. I, I would bucket these into three different areas. The first is the business enablement. Like what, what kind of work are we doing that is going to open more opportunities for the business? This okay. may be compliance and it may be security features you know, whatever that might be. The second bucket, I would say, is risk management. And this is this has to do with, are we appropriately managing risks? Which risks are we focusing on? And how much reduction and losses would that look like? And then uh, the third area is our capabilities. You have to have some sort of minimum capabilities to operate. And there are, I think, different levels of maturity that you can have for those capabilities. I like to use NIST CSF to yep. be able to show uh, our current maturity levels. But, uh, among those three things, if we're not doing at least two of them, it's probably not a priority for a startup. Maybe if you're a little bit further along in maturity, you can do one of them, right. But, um, alone, but really a lot of those really are, are crossing, uh, like a Venn diagram. And that's where I basically focus and measure how are we doing a business enablement? How are we managing our risks? What kind of losses? Are we minimizing? And then last bit, where is our capabilities as compared to other uh, others at our space and our maturity?
0: That's fantastic, and yeah, really excellent advice for anybody that's uh, starting out or even trying to show the effectiveness of their security program. How are you tracking those? I know that's a tough follow up, but are you using dashboards or using like Confluence or Notion pages or what's the? How are you showing progress? I suppose.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, right now I'm using Confluence. I, um, have a quarterly presentation I do as well. Yeah. I would say, you know, starting off, there's a lot of really good, uh, work around CIS, uh, critical controls that you can use to help map, you know, map. Someone's going to ask, so why are we a two instead of a three on detect? Right. And you can't say, well, because I think that this is where we're at. You want to have some data. And luckily the CIS controls do map to the CSF as well. And you can show basically implementation group one, two, and three, and the levels of where you're at with those controls. And that can be controls aren't necessarily indicator of maturity, but they can help drive some of that conversation to say, you know, we probably want to have all implementation group one, if we want to assume that we're at a level of maturity of two which is really like that negligence threshold.
0: It makes a whole lot of sense. And it's an area that I'm going to have to brush up on myself to to become a little bit more familiar. Jeff, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. If people want to join you, uh, are you hiring at the moment?
1: We are hiring and we are growing and um, we're looking to expand our team even more. So uh, we have architect positions available uh, today and we're, Expanding the team further into other areas as well in the very near future.
0: Bob, uh, and if they want to, I suppose, find out more, where should they go?
1: Uh, encode.com. And uh, feel free to also link, link in with me on LinkedIn.
0: Pop. so best way to follow you and your journey is LinkedIn.
1: Yep, I, I'm pretty regular there. There's a great community there of cybersecurity professionals.
0: Well, Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, best of luck on the journey. Uh, I'm looking forward to to hearing more about it. And I'm looking forward to also seeing ENCODE success in the future and getting some more tips and tricks. I hope we have you on again at some stage in the future.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tines.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tines Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tines.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.